So, Dan, today I think we should talk about printing. Okay. Uh, do you print many of your images? No. Why not? Um, that's a good question. Uh, there, I can't say that there's a uh, a, a, dis, uh, a dis- distinct reason that I don't. It's not like I hate prints. Yeah. Um, I think prints are fine. Um, I just, um, well, I think it may, this might stem from, or part of it might stem from my sort of natural um, aversion to putting putting things up on uh, on the wall, so to speak. You know, okay. how, you might you might remember earlier in an earlier conversation, I mentioned that uh, I just don't have a ton of. I'm not an art, you know, hang artwork at home kind of guy. I don't have right. a lot of pictures on my wall in general of anyone's, let alone my own. So uh, I just, you know, I just, I just don't do that. Um, so, and and the other thing is, it doesn't really come up that often. I don't get a ton of, uh, you know, ca- requests or calls for for prints. Like people don't say my, see my pictures and say, "Hey, can I have a print of that?" Right. It has happened, and I and I have done it, and I've actually sold a couple. But it's just not. It's not my. It's not my default. You know. There are some, I know people, for some that, people. There are some people yeah. that say that if 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 you don't print it, it doesn't exist. You know, like that 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 an image isn't finished until it's physical. Yeah, I can respect that. I mean, I but don't you don't agree, agree with, with it. it. Yeah. No, it's not. My, I mean, <clears throat> my. I, I mean, this kind of comes back around to yet another thing that I've said in the past, and I, I still think of the. <laughs> it's funny. I think of the file. Uh, as as the receipt, if you will. So a print of the file is like I guess would be a carbon copy of the receipt. You know, it's just like right. it's like whatever. I mean, that's that's cool, but to me the the actual uh, the actual experience and and action action you know the, whatever you kind of call it the physical process of taking and making the picture yeah. um, are more valuable to me. It it seems to be with digital photography that each image is less important now. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Well, and, I think but, the reason, but a, it's a simple a, reason. In a detrimental because they're cheap. Well, that's just it. I mean, right. now in the old days, you had you bought a roll of film or a box of film, and you had X number of shots, right? And you had to make them count, dude. Um, and now you can crank through thirty six images in thirty. No, sorry, ten seconds if you yeah. want on one of these nice high end cameras, and throw them all away in the space of a minute. You know, yeah. nothing, no sweat. Yeah. But do you think that that's, I mean, for example, I just got back from this trip. I took 500 pictures. I don't need them all, but there's maybe 100 or 120 that I would like, that I would say these are, you know, the keepers from the trip. Right. Sure. And I don't plan to print them, but is there something less than about that? You know what I mean? It used to be that like, you know, you go home to your mom's house or whatever it is and there's the photo albums, you know, and people don't do that anymore. They have everything nope, on their camera or on their computer, but right. do they actually look at them that much on their camera or their computer? I think they do. In fact, I think I would argue to say they look at them more. Hmm. Um, I think that the um, the advent of the digital photo and the fact that it's so easy to send a photo to someone else, to share it on a web page, bring it up on your phone, uh, your computer, your iPad, whatever. The fact that, that it's so easy to propagate them now makes it makes makes photo looking and photo sharing so much more popular and and by 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 you know by sort of proxy of that uh less special uh than it used to be it's funny my sister um you know had a baby and so she takes all these pictures with her iphone all the time she's sure. got an old 3g 
which yeah. the camera's not very good. And I keep yeah. yelling at her, and I'm like, could you please take pictures of him with a good camera? You know, <laughs> Her husband, Kevin, has a D40, or is that what the, like the low-end SLR is on the Nikon side? Uh, yeah, the D40, actually. Okay. That was, a, that was yeah. one of the better ones. So, so, you know, he's got one of those, which is a fine camera for using that kind of stuff. But it kind of, and it kind of bothers me though, that like the only pictures getting taken of them are these crappy two megapixel camera phone pictures. You know, I I hear what you're saying, but I mean, you could make the argument that if she had, well, here's the thing, man, phone cameras or camera phones, however the hell you want to call them are, are kind of like a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Because you always have them with you. Yeah, exactly. I have mine with me all the time. And if you look at my, if you were to sort of look at all of my photographic picture taking activity, uh, easily, the majority of it is with my fucking iPhone, dude. Right. I sit there, I, I see stuff on the train, on the street, walking around, hanging out with friends, whatever. I don't want to carry them on my big camera. Yeah. I mean, if I guess if I could, I would. But even still, when you have the big camera in your hands, it's like you're, you feel compelled to, to make it, you know, to make the shot work. And then you start thinking about it. And then with the phone, it's just like, ah, click, click, done. True. No worries. And all, but although and so, your new phone takes halfway decent pictures, better yeah, pictures than a little compact would have five years ago. Yeah, well, that's that's that could be argued actually. Um, I just I, I guess mean, I, I you know but and and people a lot of people take pictures with those crappy throw disposable film cameras, which is worse yeah. than taking them with a crappy digital camera. You know, well, there, the, but the lenses on kinda, those things are I, literally made of plastic. I know, dude. You know? But there's a charming, you know, kind of quaint, charming aspect yeah. to it. I, I have know, a couple of those in my fridge right now. I, I in, fun, in fact, uh, a friend of my father's sent me some pictures of my father. Uh, a few months ago that it, I've been meaning to get back to him and I, I had him sitting here and a lot of them were taken obviously with like disposable crap cameras you know and they're these little 4x6 uh-huh. prints like you know like they're these 4x6 prints like this and sure they and I scanned them so I could send them back to him and they are the worst crappiest I mean once you scan a picture a print you notice how bad it is you yeah. know they're just little 4x6 prints but like Oh God, those pictures are terrible. You know, yeah. Uh, and I mean, you know, we got back and we took the pictures, and Heather and I were going to put some stuff on the walls, and we're trying to decide some of those pictures from Yosemite. You know, the black and white ones with you know the Ansel Adams esque shots. You know, sure. We thought, oh, we'll get some giant ones of those and put them up on the wall, and you know, and just I don't know. There's something to say for having a t- physical object of it. You know. No, um, I, I get that. I totally get that. Like when I finished, I, I I don't know that every picture needs to be printed, but I think the ones that you are done with, like you know, I did a full series of the Drabbles small prints, you know, I think they were eight mm-hmm. by twelves or something um, mm-hmm. of each one of those, just so I have a master copy, you know, God forbid the files ever get lost. These are like the, the this is how they're supposed to look, you know? Sure. And they're signed mm-hmm. and dated and they're in a box in the in the cupboard. But I just think it's interesting that people don't print anymore. Well, that's not true. I mean, I think tons of people print. Yeah, but um, I wonder just, how. I wonder if as many pictures are printed now as were before, or if it's going well, let, down. Now let's or put up. it this way: I think what you're talking about, you're talking about the ratio. Because here's the thing: I think a couple of factors are at play. First of all, at the top of the chain, there there are more physical. There are just more people in the world right now than true. there were ten, twenty years ago. So there's that many more people. Second of all. Because digital cameras have gotten so cheap and inexpensive, they've literally cut out the uh, half, if not more than half, of the cost of of having a camera. In the old days, if you wanted to take a picture, you needed to buy a camera, then you needed to buy the film, then you needed to pay somebody to process and print it. 
True. Okay. Three three separate events that needed to occur financially speaking and time time wise. Now, with um with the technology, all almost all that stuff is is you know negated completely. And at the end of the day, people just want to have the picture and to be able to see it and show their friends. And again, with the whole sharing thing, you don't really need to worry about printing. You don't need a physical version of it because hey, I've got it right here on my phone. I've got it right yeah. here on my computer. Yeah. I can show people that way. So there. So you you know, there's the the number of actual people taking pictures. Yeah. Which is definitely increased, and then there's the number of cameras being, you know, used to take pictures, so to speak. You know, the number yeah. of cameras in the field working. I mean, and those numbers have both shot up, so the the ratio is a little different. You so there I mean? might be just as many prints, but it's less of the images that get taken get printed, is what you're saying. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think more pictures than ever are being taken. Yeah, but because course. printing because printing isn't as uh, special or isn't as it's not it's just not as necessary as it used to be. But there's a very um, there's a very big difference between an image on the screen and an image on a piece of paper. Sure, of course. You know, there's a difference and, between listening to a recording and listening to a live performance. Well, okay, yeah, no, that that's true. Or I would even say that it's in some ways it's more because of the resolution of screens nowadays. I would mm-hmm. say that it's more more of listening to a crappy MP3 and listening to a an uncompressed. Yeah, an uncompressed CD or a, or an LP on a decent system, you know, sure. they, there's there's a loss of dimension. There's a loss of resolution. You know, absolutely. I mean, look look at the big prints of the drabbles that were on the wall. I mean, those look a lot. You look a lot better. How about how about this? Here's twenty a by analogy. thirty than you do on the screen. Watching a watching a, a movie on your television or computer versus going to the theater and seeing it. Yes, I guess you could say that. Sure. Yeah. You know. Uh, so I, so I think that there's something that gets lost too of looking at pictures on a computer screen all the time. You know, it's, yeah. it's a different no, I, thing. I would agree. And then there's also, I mean, like it or not, man, I, I still think there is but something. Is convenience winning out. Is that what it is? Uh, yeah, absolutely. People Do are people, lazy. Yeah. I guess people are And people lazy. are cheap. You know, people don't want to spend money and they want things brought to them as quickly and as cheaply as possible. Welcome to the United States. I mean, I, I hope that screens, the resolution of screens goes up so that this becomes well, less of an issue of quality. Well, I think that's that's definitely going to happen. Uh, case in point, my, my, you previously mentioned my iPhone 4, sure. which has uh, that fancy schmancy retina display. Yeah. <laughs> someone, I mean, someone was telling me they mispronounced it. Uh, what was it? Retina or something retina like that. Display. <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah. I mean, like, look, uh, all these. I mean, my screen on my Droid is actually. I mean, it's not quite as high res as yours, but apparently, like color wise, it's the best that has come out ever. Um, you know, and it's great and it's fine and yeah, it's two hundred and something DPI, which is great. It's also. Well, dude, but they can only also, make them this big, you know. They they can't make them thirty the thing, inches dude, yet. It's one point oh. It's barely one point oh. No, absolutely. Uh, I guarantee you, in five years. You know, ISO and NEC uh, yeah. and whoever else are going to be making 30-inch versions of that shit. I you very know, much for hope our, so. For our desktops. Yeah. yeah, man. It's just, it's it's, it's, uh, it's it's the next thing. And I don't know, I, I kind of feel like I'm going to start printing even, like, trip pictures. You know, send them away to wherever and get 4x6s done for 20 cents a piece or 10 cents Speaking a piece. Speaking of 4x6s, I've had a, a recent, recently, I've had a bit more hands-on experience with um, uh, a printer we have at work. Yep. Uh, called it's called the Epson printer printer picture mate. The Epson picture mate. Is this a die uh, printer it, or is it inkjet? It's an inkjet printer. Okay. But it is it's really neat. I gotta say, I'm kind of leaning toward if I I might even consider purchasing one for myself, um, because it has a couple of really cool things going on. So first of all, physically, I would liken it to uh, a lunchbox. It is yep. it is a small 
uh, super portable. I would, if I had to ballpark the dimensions, I would say it's maybe six by six by ten ish in diameter, you know, in length with hit height. Um, probably weighs about three to five pounds. Uh, physically speaking, it's, it, it folds itself up. Uh, so there's the little, you know, the little, uh, paper tray where the prints come out and then the paper feed where the prints go in, flip out. Um, and then it also has on the back, um, uh, USB input and output so that you can, you can actually plug in a storage device and it'll be able to read images. It has a little LCD. It has what a three inch LCD screen on it. Right. So, and it has compact flash and SD card slots on it. So you can literally just shove a card onto it and it can actually traverse the, the directory of the, of the card and you can print directly from your card. Yes. Uh, no, no computer needed, which is kind of assuming it's JPEG. Um, yeah, I would imagine it would have a hard time with raw files. Um, and then, uh, the other cool little perk now, is would you it, ever? Uh, would you ever it, wait, just? Okay. It takes. It has batteries. It takes yeah. a battery, so you can you can buy a rechargeable battery for this thing, and then take it with you anywhere you go. Yeah. Uh, think of think of this on. A, we use actually the reason why we have these is because some of our photographers, um, some of the photographers who work for the company that I work for, um, you know, demand having physical prints on set so they can they can arrange them in layouts and see what the actual colors look like or whatever and uh it's really kind of nice to have have this little battery operated thing out in the field i i knew a wedding photographer who had a little die sub printer battery powered like that and used to print up stuff during the reception to give to the people during their honeymoon so they could have pictures with them yeah um yeah first of all is it it's it's dye inks right not pigment so this is they're more disposable prints than anything yeah, it comes in a. I mean, the ink comes in a one one piece cartridge with four little right, holes right. in it. Okay, um, and you and now, would you ever print stuff straight from the camera? Um, maybe. If I was shooting a JPEG, sure. So you, right now, you have no printer. I have a laser printer. Okay, but no, but oh. no, no photo, photo printer. printer. Yeah. No, I, I I used to have a twelve hundred, which I couldn't ever get clean. Like the yellow and magenta nozzles just were permanently clogged yeah clogged and i just gave up after wasting like three ink cartridges a piece on them it really does printing is a real giant pain in the ass you know um i I, know i do i i have a i have a uh, an hp b9180 which is this pigment ink printer eight ink that uh hp made a couple years ago 13 inch kind of the equivalent of the epson 2400 or whatever the hell they're up to now um, yeah, well, we, yeah, 2880 is what we use. 2880, okay. Um, it, it's a great printer. I love it. They have now stopped making them. So, you know, mm-hmm. eventually I will have to buy a new one because I won't be able to get the inks. But um, the output on it is fantastic. And, I, you know, I've other than a few minor problems, I love this printer. But the ink cartridges are $35 a piece, and there are eight of them. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot, dude. Yeah, but they hold like twice as much ink as the Epson of the equivalent size. They hold like twenty-eight milliliters as opposed to fourteen or something like that. So mm. it's not quite as bad as it could be. But the point is, is that a set of cartridges put you back three hundred bucks. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, it's just, it's just kind of crazy that I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's expensive to make prints at home. Now, sending them out, I've never used. Have you ever used Snapfish or? O photo or any of those things? Uh, I don't think so. What are those like the online book? Yeah, print services. Or they're something? print. Ser- the regular print services. I think Kodak owns one of them or whatever it is. They're the kind of things you can print from Flickr and those kinds of things. The know? only one I've ever tried, and it's only been once, 
uh, was MPix. Okay, right. Uh, S- similar kind shot, of thing. Yeah, and I shot. I basically just took something that my mom, uh, a shot that my mom did when she was in Japan of a cherry blossom tree. Uh, and they did a great, I mean, we blew it up really big, like to 24 inches. And yeah. uh, it looks pretty darn good for yeah. whatever the little, I think she shot it with her Canon, you know, yeah. 8 or 10 megapixel point and shoot. Yeah. You know, I have I have uh, Adorama do my books, um, uh-huh. my portfolios and whatnot. And um, they do a good job because their books are actually Fuji print, Fuji like archival real C prints that they then bind into a book. So it's not like mm-hmm. it's four color stuff like you would get a blurb or whatever, um, which is great. But you know you almost have you kind of have to soft proof to make sure nothing's out of gamut or things don't shift. You know when you send it to them and that whole thing, which is a whole handful of crap. But it's funny if I've I had there's a company out in uh, New Jersey that I order big prints from, which I did the Dravels things from called Elco. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned them. That do such a wonderful job on everything. Like I've I've sent them tons of stuff over the years and it, every single thing has come back great you know and it's just kind of funny because i've sent similar i've sent the same file sometimes to adorama for regular prints and they've screwed them up a number of times so it's kind of like a lot of people swear by adorama for prints but like psh, it's like i have no interest you know well but I'm, you gotta wonder who these people are i mean are they, are they talking about like graduation and you know baby pictures or are they talking about like there's a know? lot of photographers who get their stuff done through them you know these people who have their photo blogs and they're like sent my stuff to adorama and like came back great but then they're you know you see the pictures and the pictures mm. are just awful photographs you know um <laughs> but you know i'm planning on getting some of these ones from our trip blown up to see you know say 30 by 45 or something like that i want to get them big uh-huh you know? um yeah, which I think will be pretty cool. You know, I like the idea of having big things on the wall that I took. In fact, I was just looking at some of the images, and I'll tell you that's one thing that's good about taking pictures with a prime lens is that everything is sharp. You know, Hell they're yeah, sharp dude. corner to corner, and you just look at them and you go, "Ah, oh, that's gonna look awesome printed out." You know? Yeah, but at the same time, man, there's a part of me that feels like when you're talking about that big, you're talking about thirty by four. You're talking like you know, big poster size, big. Yeah. Um, nothing. The I can't. I can't really think of anything that's blown me away more than seeing a medium or even large format film to paper print. Oh, um, sure. I yeah. mean, there is just something really special about that. Um, no, there and is. That, and I, I mean, I don't think digital will ever be able to do that. Um, or I, I shouldn't say ever. But I, I'll tell you, it, I, it still I, can't do it. I don't mind. Uh, the digital things – how do I put this? Uh, the, you get a lot more information in my 5D Mark II files than I ever would in a 35-millimeter film frame. You know, That's not the point. No. That's not the, it's not the – No, I know. I guess what I'm saying is that like – well, you're just saying from the – what? The amount of the quality of the lenses and that kind of stuff? No. I'm just talking about the the organic process versus the mechanical process, the digital process. Film. Yeah. The exactly. thing is, is I that mean, even the, the analogy I'm making is, is just like it's basically records versus CDs. Yeah, yeah, I know. But the problem is, is that if you, most of the places you go to get a print done from a film nowadays, yeah. they're going to scan it and digitally print it. Even if they do, even if they do chemical process of the no, paper, you're, you're right. They're going right. to expose the paper digitally from a file. You know? That's true. That's true. But They're I'm talking very, very digitally remastering about, it and then putting it back on yeah, record. Yeah, yeah. Know? I'm ta- I'm talking about like um, straight optical enlargements. 
and black and white specifically. Yes, sure. Like there's and there and I don't care what you say, dude. There's still no digital equivalent to black and white, film. like true black and white. Well, film photo- black and white film photography. Yeah. You know, capital letters, proper. You know, black and white negatives, black and white processing, yeah. black and white paper. You yeah. know, there's just something really special about that. Well, you know what it is. There's it's it, there's a huge dynamic range that they haven't been able to get quite in digital. You know? Yeah. Um, no, I completely agree with that. Um, yeah. But the problem is, is that that stuff's such a pain in the ass and so expensive that it's, you know. And that's why it's so fucking good, man. That's why it is so goddamn special. Although, I'll tell you, I, years ago, a friend of mine had a dark room in her thing. I don't know if I mentioned this before. A friend of mine mm-hmm. had a dark room at her parents' house up in Westchester. And she's like, oh, you should come up sometime and do some printing. So I went up there. Nice. Brought some negatives that I shot with my Hasselblad. Went in and, you know, she gave me the... One, two, three, four, five step. I had done this a couple times before, but not in a long, long time. Yeah. So she gave me the uh, refresher course, and I sat in there for a few hours and made a few prints. And they looked good. But when I left there, I was kind of like, these look good, but they don't look any better than I get on a good pigment inkjet printer from a good file. Mm. You know? I guess mm-hmm. you have just so much more control. Uh, you know, if you, there are people who are these master printers who go in and like, there was a guy a few years ago, I was looking for buying Mylar sleeves for some prints I had to put into a competition. Uh-huh. And there's this company down in the meatpacking district, which I can't remember the name of, MV something or other, MV photo. Hmm. Anyway, the wife is like runs this uh, supply side of the business. The guy is like this master black and white printer. And he is a motherfucker, like monster guy. Um, huh. And his stuff looks amazing. He had all wow. these pictures up on the wall of, you know, like Mick Jagger and all this kind of stuff. He, I mean, he prints for all the big dogs, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. And it, it, I remember leaving there because he helped me. F- his wife was out and he helped me find a place where I could get what I needed because they didn't have them or whatever. And uh, I just thought to myself, I left. And I shook his hand. And I was like, I'm going to come back to you when – you know, I'm rich and I have black and white stuff I want to get printed because yeah, you could just tell there's art in that, you know. There is, dude. I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever told you the story, um, but uh, when I lived in Chicago, uh, one of my pals that I met in school, this cat named uh, Jordan Schulman, uh, we've kind of lost touch at this point. Um, uh, he's still in Chicago. I don't know what he's up to exactly. Last, last I remember... He's been teaching photography, but uh, he was a photo, full-on photo major at, at the Art Institute, um, a year behind me, and he hit it off really well with one of his instructors, this uh, photographer guy named Alan Cohen, and Alan kind of took him under his wing uh, as an intern or whatever you want to call it, uh, apprentice, and taught him this, you know, really fantastic technique of how to how to print. Yeah. And uh, by the time Jordan finished, uh, Alan you know, was able to refer him to, uh, this, this fine art guy named Sandro Miller, uh, who I'm sure is still, obviously he's still working, but this is back in the nineties, uh, you know, maybe late nineties. Uh, and Sandro basically gave Jordan a blank check and Jordan was able to spec out his, you know, the darkroom of his choosing, get, you know, yeah. custom hardware and, and, and plumbing installed and get all of his favorite chemicals. And for, I would say, I don't know, two or three years, all he would do all day long, his day job was just printing. And man, by you know, by the end of that, he he was a motherfucker, man. He yeah. could really, really fucking print. And and that's that that's the, you know, the, some of the stuff that 
that he did is what I think of when I when I you know when I say yeah. there's nothing that comes near that. that. That's the thing you that need to get to the people who are that good. There was a documentary, a French documentary about Cartier Bresson, and the opening credits of it were this guy pulling out a box of negatives, putting the negative in the enlarger, putting the paper down, you know, exposing it and dodging and burning with his hands. He was like making shadow puppets with his hands, you know, like to, yeah. to dodge and burn just right. And, you know, he runs it through the chemicals like it's nothing, like it's a piece of, you know, like whatever, which is really terrifying to me because I always get like the wrong chemical on the to- on the tongs <laughs> or, you know, a drop plops. This guy's throwing right. it around like it's nothing and then right. like slaps it up on this wet board at the end and it's perfect. You know, then in the the first scene of the real movie is Cartier Bresson signing this print, and the guy's standing there in like this full uh, apron, yeah, with a respirator Car- and the gloves and all yeah. that shit. And Cartier right? Bresson's yeah. like, you know, this this is beautiful, and, and the guy says, yeah, that one was really hard. Like, and it's all the <laughs> subtitles, you know, and you can tell by the look on the guy's face that he probably did like ten of them to get it right, you know, nice that yeah. he had to like practice the dance. It's yeah. sort of like doing it's it's like doing mix automation before automation. Right, you know, or, when you had like, like ten guys at the board moving things up and down during the mix. Totally, exactly, because that's yeah. that's what basically printing is. It, it's the mix. It's not the tracking. Right. It's the it's the mix down, and yeah. it, you, you, it's a performance. It's you yeah. know you need to you need to get the timing right. It all has yeah. to be perfect. And some would say though that like with digital, that has all kind of disappeared, or everyone else, mm. everyone's doing their own printing because there isn't a time thing on it. You know, you have iPhoto, you can change the exposure and the contrast and all these things that. And the color shift and whatever else, you know, the tinting, all these things the that, yeah, but the, I mean, but it's, it's doing the same things, not in the same way. You know, mm. I guess my mm-hmm. point is that like you're doing those yourself. You're not handing them to a tech to do them in a lab. That's correct. The funny thing is that the old, old timers, like all these old, older photographers that I've met in the past couple of years from doing all these like clubs and all these talks and whatnot, a lot of them don't really know that much about the technical side of photography and used to hand their film off to a lab to do whatever mumbo jumbo magic the lab did. Yeah. But now it's kind of like they're doing it all themselves because they've all bought digital SLRs and whatever it is. And they don't, they're not quite, they're not nearly as good at it, you know? Yeah. Um, But they thought that there was some sort of magic involved, which there wasn't. It was just skill. And that's what it is. It's just anytime you, uh, do something over and over and over again. If you have, if you do have some skill and some talent, you're going to get pretty good at it. Yeah, I mean yeah. the same thing can be said about you know mastering a uh, a musical instrument. Sure. Or, or even, I mean, look at or any any kind of crafty thing. Look at guys who carve wood or who who yeah, rivet uh, who metal are, or st- stone masons. Weld. I mean, yeah, seriously, any welding dude. That's something that yeah. is very simple in principle, but probably takes a hell of a long time to master. Yeah, there's a, there's a scene in uh, Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance where he has some kind of his chain guard. You know, the big thing that goes over the chain on the motorcycle. Yeah, uh, had a crack in it or something, and he he's in some small town and he brings it to some guy to get welded. And the guy pulls out, I don't know what kind of welder it was, you know, some kind of thing. And in his mind, he's just like, he's actually going to try this with a whatever welder, you know, like, you know. And the next, like, paragraph is, an, is a description of the guy, like, dancing the welder over the metal, like, making this perfect weld of this really thin aluminum or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, he was just like, I couldn't believe that the guy actually, you know. Basically, he was using a, a, a sledgehammer to do what somebody would use, like, a t- you know you know, a little thing for, and, and it worked perfectly. Like, cause the guy was so good that he like danced with yeah. the weld, you know? No, it's, it's totally true, dude. Yeah. 
I don't know. I, I guess that is is if that's getting lost, it's kind of sad. And I think that the idea of, of having a physical object is a good thing. I don't know. Maybe I, I'm old you know, school. I, I I hear the sad thing, but at the same time, I I'm also kind of um, relieved. Not relieved. I'm actually kind of a fan of that because I think when think. Um, yeah, I, but you're I a fan of it, but you yourself don't get much stuff printed. No, no, you're. you're <laughs> hang on, let me finish my point. Okay. <laughs> uh, my point is this: um, a lot of people are saying. I mean, th- this is something that, that that's just obvious. This is happening. The more people um, get interested, you know, the, the and the, the more um, available, the more easily available, widely available, um, the means and technology are to make things. Yep. Um, the less special it becomes, you know, that, that, that's, that's just a, that's a simple mathematical equation right there. But, um, what happens in that same process is the old way of doing it, uh, becomes special becomes, or that becomes that much, that much more special. Yes. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of that. I like it when, when that, you know, when that kind of thing, like, you know, any, anytime someone like makes something by hand or has to do it the old fashioned way, um, I, I kind of, I kind of dig that. There's a part of me that really respects. That. Well, you know what? That's one of the reasons why I haven't upgraded to Photoshop CS5. That's not what I'm talking about. Content aware, Phil. <sighs> yeah, yeah. It's cheating. It makes it too easy. No, Whatever. I agree with you. I just hope that there is enough of a market that those people can survive. Period. Well, it's not going. I mean, they're not. They're, they're, I don't think survival is not the right word, man. I mean, if you're talking about surviving, like as as a business. Then they're probably not going to survive. It's right. it's going to survive as uh, you know as the guy whatever, who knows how to make a barrel by hand because yeah he loves exactly it. or the guy who knows how to make you know boat masts or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know it's going to be a sacred traditional art is what it's going to be. Yeah. And the sad thing is that it's probably going to go away uh, with you know as the generations you know lose interest and and the need dies down to the extent that. There's just, you know, nobody cares anymore. Well, I mean, there, well, let's back up one thing. I mean, people have all these pictures on their hard drives. You know, what happens when they don't transfer them to the newest medium because the new hard drives connect with this thing? And you know what I mean? There's the whole people have crap on zip disks and floppies and things that, you know. Yeah. I mean, no, you're right. So, I mean, at least with a, with a physical print, none of that is a problem anymore. I mean, all these digital people, even at the Library of Congress, are saying, you know, you know what the best medium we have is paper. <laughs> it's true, papers because you know, it kinda, doesn't kinda go forever. out of. You yeah, know, it's not obsolete. It's true, and I don't know. There's something to say for that. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. Something to leave to hand down, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. It's just anyway. I was just thinking about it a lot. Yeah. So we need to get some special guests in here. Special guests. Yeah, I, I like the sound of that. Um, I've got a couple of of people in mind. Okay, and I'm sure you do too. Should Are we there talk people? About yeah, them. Yeah. What do you okay. got? Uh, one of my favorite people to talk to in general, um, is a guy named Mike Osman, uh, aka Mossman. Um, he he is an old friend of mine from Chicago. I guess I've known him now for a little over ten years, even though. He's a musician. Uh, he sings and plays the guitar, piano, and trombone. Um, and he was in 
uh, a cover band with me, uh, the first major cover band that I ever really played in. And, uh, he's just really fucking smart. <laughs> um, he, he, he's extremely well, well-spoken and well, well-learned, um, went to school, um, in, in Alaska. He went to the university of Alaska at Fairbanks, UAF. Um, okay. I believe to study chemistry originally. I don't remember if he graduated or not. Uh, but he met a really interesting guy there. Did I ever tell you about my attempt to make a, a documentary? No, I don't think so. Oh, well, this this is a cute story. I've told this story a bunch of times, so uh probably doesn't hurt to, to get it on, on the record, although I would imagine a few of my friend listeners have heard this a million times, but I'll, we have some time left, so I can tell you the whole story. <laughs> so um, Mossman, as I mentioned, went to uh, school in Alaska, and as you might expect, Fairbanks, Alaska is it's an interesting part of the country um, because it's kind of remote. Um, and the folks that live there are, I don't know. It's a little, it's a little hard to explain, um, but they're really cool. I mean, they're definitely like, you know, it's not like they're weird, not like they're, you know, hillbillies or anything like that. Um, but um, every once in a while when we were hanging out, after a band practice or just, you know, eating dinner or whatever, uh, we'd start telling stories about stuff. And then all of a sudden Mike would, uh, uh, start talking about his friend, Lars. Lars? Uh, and La- yeah. Lars Hansen. And Lars was, or I guess either a very good friend and or a roommate of Mike's, okay. uh, at the university of Fairbanks or of Alaska and Fairbanks. And, um, Man, would just the, some of the stories that that Mike would tell about Lars sounded like too fantastic, too funny and weird to be to be true. But I, you know, I just had a feeling he wasn't exaggerating. I, I was pretty, uh, I was pretty sure that this guy existed, and he was as uh, interested, uh, interesting as uh, as Mike was making him out to be. I don't, I don't have any of the stories off the top of my head, and I'll save. Maybe I'll save. Um, those for if and when we have Mike on here so he can do them justice. But anyway, <clears throat> Mike and Lars were good buddies. Um, and once Mike left Alaska, they kind of lost touch. Um, and you know, they still, they still stayed in touch like via mail and maybe the telephone every once in a while, but some time went by and, and, uh, I guess it must've been about 10 years after Mike had finished school and they, they sort of randomly hooked up again. And, Lars invited Mike and his wife, Emily, uh, up to visit them in Fairbanks, Alaska. And this okay. is right around, this is like the wintertime in, uh, in January or so. And um, one of the things that happens in Fairbanks, Alaska in the wintertime is the uh, International Ice uh, Carving Competition uh, okay. called, called Ice Alaska. And they have this big, you know, park uh, basically they, they take like a fairgrounds sized area and bring all of this amazingly clear, high quality ice from a glacier or a lake nearby and, um, and, and put them all, put it all in this one spot so that these ice carvers come from all over the world. I think over like 30 or 40 countries, um, to compete. And there's two basic comp- competitions. There's, uh, a, uh, a single block competition where the, 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 the sculptors get one, block of ice that I believe is three by five by three, three by three by five, I guess you'd say. Okay. Yeah. That sounds about right. Feet. Square and five feet tall. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, 
like as if if you imagine that the the lake was three feet deep or like the, you know the ice was three feet deep and then they carved a three by five rectangle out of it kind of monolithic sure. but deeper um and then uh you, you know you got to do what you can with that one block sure. and then Very you're limited to a yeah, you're limited to a man, uh, two-man team, and you're given three and a half days, 9 a.m. on Tuesday to 9 p.m. on Thursday, I believe is the official time. And you can work on it as long as you want. Uh, and then there's a multi-block competition, which is a little bit more involved, and then there aren't as many teams. Um, and there are cranes and scaffolding and all kinds of interesting things involved. And I don't think there's any limit to the number of blocks that you're allowed to use. I think they all get at least seven or eight of these things, though. And they make these things, you know, three stories tall and really sure. amazing. And they have a whole week and a half, I think, or a week and change to, to work on them. Um, so Mike and Lars, and, and in addition to the competition, which is, you know, which is a special event, the, the ice park is open for the entire month. And, you know, they set up a whole bunch of cute little things for kids, like a, like slides and a, and a maze and like cool sculptures of little animals and pop culture characters and whatever, you know, cause sure. there's lots of, you know, ice carving is a pretty common popular uh, activity up there. So there's lots of local folks who do it. Uh, and you know, there's corporate sponsorship. So there's logos and interesting things like that. Right. Um, so back in 2005, this is yeah, over five or six years ago now, um, Mike went to go visit Lars and they, they went to go visit the, uh, the ice park and they were just blown away by how amazing these ice sculptures were. Of course. Uh, and being the sort of tinkery craftsy nerds that they are, they sort of joking around said, Hey man, we should, we should enter the competition ourselves and make something cool. And then, you know, they started to get to thinking and then I don't know who came up with the idea, uh, either Mike or Lars, but one of them, if I had to guess, I would say it was Mike, uh, suggested that they try and make uh, a clock, an actual moving clock out <laughs> of ice. Yeah. Uh, and so once they sort of decided that they were really going to do this, over the course of the next few months, Mike set uh, upon basically designing a uh, a clock that he could make out of ice using a CAD program. I think he did all kinds of research and designed his own escapement mechanism, you know, for, yeah, sure. for keeping, keeping the time and stuff like that and made drawings and plans. And, and meanwhile, Lars, <clears throat> who is more of a, of a handyman, um, got to work on making customized tools for machining ice. Uh, the, the most impressive or my favorite, I should say my, my favorite of the, of the tools that they made was, uh, an ice lathe, which he made nice. out of, out of a pair of washing machine motors, um, which allowed him to take a, a piece of ice and, and basically spin it into a an axle, an axle yeah. or a column. Exactly. Um, and I have photographs of this up on my Flickr stream. If anyone's curious, um, they're a little old, but you can dig and find them. So, um, when I, uh, when I heard about this, I'm like, holy cow, dude, can I, can I come and watch? <laughs> you know, right. I would love to see this. Uh, and they're like, sure. Uh, it's the, you know, it's in February. I'm like, oh man. Uh, it, it happened to coincide with, with my move from Chicago to New York, which oh, I'd okay. been, which I'd been planning for months. So I couldn't make it to the first, the first, uh, one. Um, and as you might expect the, the first time they tried this, uh, it kind of, um, it kind of failed miserably. <laughs> sure. uh, these guys were, you know, total novice ice sculptors. And uh, they, they just, you know, you can't expect to make the, this extremely complicated uh, device with, with zero experience and on an, you know, 
on an unreasonable time budget, you know, because yeah, they yeah, only yeah. had three days to do it. I, I'm confident that if they were given enough time, they could totally get it working. But part of the spirit of the challenge, you know, was was uh, was to do, do it, it in that the, amount of time. Sure, exactly. But uh, they, you know, out of the what forty some odd uh, contestants, they did not get last place. <laughs> wow. They, they actually, I think they finished maybe second or third to last, and they won a lot of favor and appreciation from the the people For who trying ran the, something crazy. Exactly, because their their site was so unique because of all these crazy tools that they made. Um, and uh, people just love to come and hang out and watch them do their things. So that kind of encouraged them to give it another shot. And so at that point, I, you know, I, I had a chat with Mike. I'm like, hey, man, would you be interested in, in my friend Brian and I coming up next year and filming you guys for a documentary? Um, and he's like, that, that, sounds like, that sounds like fun. Yeah. And, and so um, my friend Brian and I, proceeded to prepare and, and and came up for the next the next one which you know I'd, I'd moved it fully settled into new york at that point and uh we went up to alaska and uh the idea of the documentary would be, we you know it was it was called the ice clock because after the first year mike mike and lars realized that they they probably bit off a little bit more than they could chew right um and that it that wasn't really reasonable for them to expect to be able to make the clock you know right away so what they decided to do was to was to ease into it so they were gonna um they decided they wanted to definitely the 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 key crucial aspect of their art of their sculpture would be a kinetic moving an ice machine if you will something with moving parts because that's that's something that still no one was ever doing so they you know so mike um spent a lot of time figuring out ways to to make gears out of ice um, actual, you know, to- toothed sure. gears um, to make a machine. And so the second time the around... The ones that aren't going to stick together. Stick together or be warped or, you know, or freeze or whatever. Um, and so this next year, they decided that they would try something a little bit more simple. Uh, they wanted to do a music box, if you will. So something that you could walk up to and turn a crank and it would play a little song. That's impressive. Uh, so Mike designed... Yeah, so Mike designed this really neat uh, multi-cam... Uh, a three note music box that would play I can't remember the name of the song now. I, I'm sure we all know it. I don't know I don't know Across what it was, buns. It was three notes. Uh I don't know what it was. But it was really cool. Um and uh unfortunately they 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 ran out of time and they couldn't get it. They they made a one note <laughs> music yeah, box. Yeah. Uh, but it worked. You, you know, I have a, we have a little video of it where you, you you walk up to the thing, you turn the crank and it it makes a note. Yeah. Uh, and that was really cool. But unfortunately, because it didn't really match their, their final goal, uh, they didn't really do so well. And that was a bit discouraging. Um, but, but Brian and I were really psyched because, you know, we got some cool footage and, you know, got to go to Alaska and check it out. And, uh, unfortunately the next year, um, and I guess this would be 2007, um, things got a little bit tricky because the ice, carving world uh seemed to be catching uh a little bit of a buzz in the media and a television a reality television company basically came in at the very last minute after brian and i had bought our tickets and were on our way we found out literally the day that we got there that this reality television production company owned the rights to the event for the next two years yeah um despite the fact that we had you know had a verbal arrangement with the, the management that it was cool for us to do our thing, they basically screwed us. And so Brian brought all his, you know, video crap and couldn't couldn't shoot a frame of video without the potential of losing it to this, you know, to this company. I, I still stuck around and shot frames, but needless to say, uh, st- shot stills. Um, but needless, needless to say, it was a very uh, discouraging 
uh, event. And the guys, Mike and Mike and Lars were also, I think a little bit less enthusiastic than they were the year before. Um, although they did debut a really cool new tool, um, uh, a bandsaw, an ice bandsaw with made out of bicycle parts, which was pretty cool. But, um, that was the last time we were up there because then, you know, at that point we just, you know, we didn't want to spend any more money and we knew that that contract was two years long and we just, and then I think ultimately what happened was, uh, I think that, you know, now, now the company that runs it changed, you know, changed management and now it's just, it's just too complicated. Yeah. So we, we decided to, to, to bail out and cut our losses. Uh, and you know, I, I still don't think either of us regret going to Alaska cause it's a yeah. neat place to visit. But anyway, long story short, Mike is a pretty interesting fellow. Um, he also happens to be, uh, a Unix specialist and, uh, works for a government think tank, uh, specializing right now in digital radio. Um, interesting. Yeah. He knows, he knows a thing or two about a thing or two. And, uh, yeah, I think it would be really Where's fun to talk now? to him. He lives in Colorado in a, okay. uh, in a, I don't, I wouldn't call it a suburb. It's, it's about an hour away from Denver. Okay. And, uh, yeah. Um, well, why don't you, why don't you we should, try to get I'll, a hold of him? I'll reach out to him about... and see if, yeah, see if yeah. he's down. And, okay. uh, we should think of a topic to talk about with him. Something he'd okay. be good, good, uh, I think we know, could do that. You know, he actually, he made his own telescope out of PVC, uh, that's a big piping. thing. And a mirror, yeah. And he's 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 he knows he, he's done some neat things. So yeah, he's he's my first pick as a special guest. How about okay. you? Who who would your first pick be? Ooh, you know I don't even know. I have a number of people. Let me let me think about that before I answer. Okay. Uh, but we will. We're yeah. We're gonna get some different some new blood on here. Okay. I think it'll make it a little bit more interesting. Sure. Mix it up a little bit. Absolutely. All right. Well, you talk to Mike and see what he says, and then uh, we'll catch back up with everything next week. Sounds good. All right. Have a good one, Dan. You too, Bill.